Evolutionary.org presents Evolutionary Hardcore Podcast with your co-hosts, Steve from the American Underground and Mobster from the UK Iron Den. Get ready for the most hardcore and underground info in the industry. And here we go. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. Good morning, everyone. Evolutionary.org. Hardcore podcast coming your way. This is number 109. Steve Smee here in the Mobster. What's going on? Oh, good in the hood. That's rock and roll, cowboy. Joining us from... Ireland today. <laughs> huh? you, and your, you and your British geography, man. <laughs> I know, I know. Ignorant. I'm trying to be, you know, the ignorant. American I'd have to swim. That. There's a big, there's a sea between me and I. <laughs> well, <laughs> if you ever watch Braveheart, you know, the English and the Irish, they hate each other and the Scottish that's, hate that's each other. Braveheart, Scottish. <laughs> <laughs> I'm English, but I live in Wales. The Welsh want every bastard wants independence. You know how it is. Yeah. <laughs> all right, guys. So let's hit this, guys. At the end of the day, we're all we're all the same people. We all come from the same place. So in bodybuilding, we're all the same, guys. So this is a good one. Today we're doing Nasser El Somebody, and he is someone who uh, fits this profile because he's all over the world. Um, he was born in Germany, Egyptian yeah. father, Serbian mother. <laughs> so he. He's got those uh, Egyptian genetics. Let me tell you something, Monster, the most prolific and consistent IFBB pro of his era. If you look at just his placing, um, even though he, he never won the Olympia, he, would, uh, he was consistent year after year after year placing high in you know, top three in shows. And his size and symmetry – made him very very unique he was a big guy 511 320 uh he was nicknamed the professor he was very intelligent having uh two parents from two different places living in a third country he spoke many languages he spoke at least six languages yeah Um, and uh, you know we're going to talk about him in this podcast those of you who don't know about him he died very young he was only 47 when he died so we're going to go over his life his death his steroid cycles, you know, all about his life. So this is going to be a really interesting podcast and very, very unique. So, um, so you know, growing up, Nasser, mobster, he, he was into soccer. And that's something that they very much like over in uh, across the pond in, in your neck of the woods. Um, so a lot of, you know, kids, they grow up playing soccer. And, you know, he started training his legs because he wanted to be able to kick the ball further and harder. So after he started doing that, he started noticing, you know, he had a really gift for bodybuilding. So he started studying it. He became a student of weight training and nutrition. He started reading books. He started asking questions and he did a lot of stuff. And it's very similar to what I went through as a teenager. I would ask questions of the older guys. I would read all about it. We didn't have internet back then. So I was very similar to this. So I have a lot of respect for, for him for, for doing that. He wasn't like a know-it-all. He was asking, you know, trying to get um, information. So he ended up joining one of the top gyms in Germany. He competed in, eight, in 1985. And the, the judges were really impressed with what they saw out of him.
it feels kind of uh, controversial to me looking at uh, the other aspects uh, of, of interviews, especially that I've seen. Um, the multilingual thing, and, and definitely a very intelligent guy, is something that seems to have come across perhaps um, lacking patience and a little bit, uh, from my perspective, when you when you listen to him, when when you read the way that he talks, whatever. In fact, there's some couple of very famous clips of him being interviewed by women online, and of course he's tired, he's depleted, he's competitive, ready, and he kind of answers the question, and then they ask him a question which is just answered, and rather than go over it again, he kind of almost looks at them and as if to say, you know, I just kind of said that. What the hell? So there's a there's a small degree of uh, yes, hundred percent doing exactly what Steve says to begin with, learning, 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 learning. But then when you look at him later on in a career, and maybe it's because he was tired, maybe it's because he's depleted and whatever else, came across like, you know, perhaps a little bit arrogant, a little bit uh, conceited and whatever else. But that's, it's an interesting because I think there's going to be a bit of back and forth between Steve and I in terms of what he does and all the rest of it. And of course, I, as someone who's competed, as someone who, who's got some experience myself, that can come across when we're talking to people online and, and, and in person. How do you, Steve? All right, so he went pro in 1990, and he finished top 10 at the Grand Prix Finland. He won his pro card. He moved to the United States. Um, that's what you got to do, um, especially in, in that time. You have to basically – now it's more of a world economy, but back then you have to move to the United States if you want to advance in bodybuilding. So he became popular. He finished in 1994 in sixth place at the Mr. Olympia. So that's when his popularity started going up. And then as Mops, you know, as Mobster and I were talking on the pre-show, and Mobster is going to talk about this, he griped quite a bit. And, you know, I wonder if it was a marketing tactic or if it was maybe something, because you see this a lot on social media and guys will complain and have these conspiracy theories. They'll gain a big following from it because people kind of get, get drawn into that. And they love like to hear stuff like that um, because they kind of want to rebel against the bureaucracy of whatever. And in this case, it's bodybuilding. So he kept claiming, you know, it's rigged, it's corrupt, that he was robbed out of millions of dollars because of corrupt judges. But at the end of the day, you know, you can't you know just doubt that he his finishes were amazing in 1994 he was six in 95 he was third in 96 he was third in um but he got disqualified for diuretic use in that one and in 97 he finished second behind dorian Ace. that was the closest he got to winning the olympia third in 98 sixth in 99 and then 2005th and then in 2001, he dropped to ninth. And then 2002, he was 15th at Mr. Olympia. So, you know, you can't die. Top 10, um, basically from 94 to 2001. And then he was 15th in 2002. So he also won the Night of Champions, Grand Prix Russia, Grand Prix Switzerland, Arnold Classic. And, you know, guys, you know, all these shows in Europe, routinely a top three finisher. So he was very, very consistent throughout his career. Probably the most consistent competitor aside from the guys who have actually had the you know mr olympia wins during during that time so he's kind of like the uh, phil mickelson of bodybuilding where 
Um, he just felt like Phil Mickelson used to always fall short of Tiger Woods. He would always get second place, second place. It's kind of same thing here. So he, um, yeah, definitely consistent guy. He got a lot of fan uh, following over this. I think the thing for for me when when what's happened is what's the phrase that they use now? Was someone's got no filter? This this feels to me like Nasserel somebody had no filter, uh, uh, and it's kind of one of those maybe autistic or something like that because he's incredibly intelligent, hardworking, very muscular, you know, decent level of strength and whatever else. But when uh, it was be circumspect to keep your mouth shut, shall we say, whether that's in in life or in the gym or online uh, and obviously when it even comes to judging or whatever else this is where he would probably made his had that lack of a filter he would say what was on his mind he because of his intelligence it would come across a certain way um and and maybe that was his one downfall uh, there are stuff that me and steve are going to get into that i've made some notes here in regards to stuff that he thought pros were doing he was kind of circ circling around as to admitting himself which we'll get into in a minute uh, and he was the one that was saying it. He was saying, oh, this is what happens. And then, then he was being interviewed in one interview by Bob Chicharillo, or did you do it? And then he said, well, I won't kind of answer it there way or answer it this way, which is kind of a saying, yes, I am. But then everybody else is too. Uh, and pointing that stuff out, both at press conferences, for Olympia press conferences, uh, when they were talking about doing the tour, which Steve touched on with the stuff in Europe, and, 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 in, and stuff in ways that pros made money then and maybe even make money now. He was the guy that was saying these things. So I suspect, as Steve said, maybe there's that, that edge of controversialism, this idea that you get focused on because uh, there you are, you're the guy that's not afraid to say stuff. Lee Priest does this. Uh, but perhaps with um, a, a, even less of a filter, even less of a... I should really think about what I'm about to say. That just came straight out, straight off his chest and whatever else. They're also, and I touched on it earlier on, this small degree of arrogance. One of his things that he talked about was no one could train as hard as me. No one could do my arm workout. I mean, come on. We all like to think that we train hard. There's, we all, there's every single pro out there, no doubt, when they're carb depleted and dying for a competition, thinks their training's the hardest and their dying's the hardest and their posing's the hardest. So that's the kind of silly thing to say. And, and, and as someone who's occasionally been accused of a small degree of arrogance for one reason or another in the past, I can understand the why, certain level of confidence in yourself. And that's watching interviews, reading online interviews of Nessie's, that seems to come across undoubtedly. You've been your top two in the world, top three in the world consistently at that level. There's no way you can say that you, you don't deserve something. Uh, this is my reputation. This is where I am. How can I say otherwise? Uh, but equally, it, it feels like, you know, perhaps he should have played it down a little tiny bit. I, I'll, I'll give it, this, let's, let's get into a couple of specifics when you're ready, Steve. I can, I can the, 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 both the good and the bad in terms of what he used to say. And yeah. when he was known, um, I think he rubbed a lot. If you ask a lot of people in the industry, I've talked to them, they describe him as a smart ass. Um, yes. But I wonder yeah. if it's, you know, a marketing strategy, like I said earlier, or if it's just his personality, or maybe because his education level was so more advanced than other people. I mean, how many people can speak more than six languages? Um, it's very rare in the United States that you'll find someone who can speak even two languages. So 
you know, that's, that's something that he maybe felt a superior complex over other people or stuff, but get into that a little bit. And then we're going to talk about his death. So people understand how he died. And then we're going to talk, of course, about his training, his diet and his steroid cycle that we think he ran. So tell us a little bit more about his smart ass, some, some stories about that. There's a few examples and one particular one, for example, by rumor and reputation, over the years, certain pros, male and female, and that's just both sides of this, have done certain things when they needed to make money. Now, whether that's for a cycle, whether that's for training, whether that's for, for, for where they live or whatever, all the normal stuff that they need to do, the extra food that they need to eat and so on and so forth. So one of the things that's came out, whether it's gay for pay, whether it's uh, muscle fighting for the women, muscle worship, let me flex your muscles. Hell, Christ, even I've had my first ever uh, message on Facebook from some guy saying, could you lift me up? And I'm thinking, yeah, I, I know exactly where this is going to go. We're not going there. So when you're a top level pro, you're going to have admirers from all parts of the community and they want to know if you're strong, whether you can fight, whether you can arm wrestle. It's just crazy, crazy stuff. And of course, humanity is going to be all different kinds of people. Some of them not quite uh, all, all the way there, shall we say. So one of the things that he revealed uh, and, and it was quite public about this. I think it was actually in a magazine interview. And then later on was, was uh, Bob Cicerillo did a, a radio uh, show and interviewed him. And he says, yeah. So he says, tell us about you uh, selling your sweaty training clothes. And it, it literally says that, that, that I remember seeing this. I think it was on one of the forums back in the day. And someone said, look at this. And he went on there and he would wear a shirt, train in it, let it get nice and sweaty and then put it in a Ziploc bag and people would pay for this. Instead of buying a training shirt, you know, that's where else somebody emblazoned across the front of the chest, which is how most pros would try to make some money now, selling uh, clothing with their name on. No, no, this was literally your sweaty socks, your sweaty jogging bottoms, your sweaty shirts. And he was quite publicly. So I think you could buy like a pair of his briefs or something ridiculous for $100. So he was quite public with this stuff. And, and, and what he said was, uh, one, if someone wants to give me $100 for a sweaty shirt or whatever, why the hell shouldn't I take the money? And number two, and this is where perhaps he was, you know, grating on people a little bit. I'm not the only person doing this. I'm just the only one that's telling you that I'm doing it. So, you know, there's stuff out there. I, I, Lee Priest has touched on stories of things that he's been asked to do. And again, it's probably because he's quite public with that lack of a filter. Something else, and it was quite controversial at the time, and of course, we know that there were accusations made back and forth between different pros at the time, and that was the use of simple. Uh, specifically, we know, for example, you know, certain pros' calves miraculously improved, certain uh, rather dodgy-looking shoulders. And uh, not only did Nassil address the simple issue, he actually accused, and this, this is not going to get you any friends when you're a competing bodybuilder. He said, and I quote. Certain of the judges have implants, not just the women and not just breast augmentation. But I find it ironic that I'm being accused of using Sinfol, which I believe he was, uh, by people with implants that have never competed sitting there judging me. Now, you want to get from second to first or from third to second telling the judges that not only do they have they never trained never worked out never competed but you've got the as we would say in, in the uk the brass balls to uh, accuse me of using sinful when you're sitting there with your calf implants and your delt implants so yeah he, he was right out there 
uh, one one thing in terms of, I think Steve said earlier, I want to we've used a know-it-all. Uh, there's uh, Dave Palumbo from RX does this breathless version of NASA. And if you've ever ever been interviewed, you say, oh, kind of like this all the time. So there was this element of uh, that. And it seemed very easy to tease, very easy to, to play with, that the guys would accidentally send over cheesecake to his table if they were out having a meal when they knew he was on the diet and they knew that Nasty would get upset because he was easy to, as we used to say in the UK to wind up to, 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 to rag on a little bit all this kind of stuff so personality very intelligent very outspoken lacking that filter but at the same time kind of like you know he wasn't doing himself any favours with the judges he wasn't doing himself any favours with the fellow competitors and of course it, as, as we say Easy to wind up, easy to tease, easy to get going, easy to provoke. He actually probably, to me, as a as a modern day pro, would be absolutely amazing on something like Instagram or his own YouTube channel. As, as Steve said, in terms of the controversy, that lack of a filter again. Can you imagine when you've got a top professional, top two, top three in the world bodybuilder sitting there telling you what the guys are doing? And, Revealing the <laughs> and slated, slating the judges left, right, centre on his chap. He probably wouldn't make it as a pro because perhaps as a professional, you need to be a little bit more uh, politic. But uh, in terms of uh, controversy and getting out there and making money that way, in, in the style of Rich Piano and some of his other guys out there with the channels, as they, as they were, uh, I think he would have made an absolute fortune that way. Steve touched on one of the numbers earlier on, and I believe the figure was $4 million. He claimed that he lost in terms of total prize money and, and sponsorships and whatever else from not being number one or not winning competition, $4 million. So, yeah, there's, there's some stuff right out there, Steve. He's uh, I, I, one of those guys that you and I could probably go up to the gym and ask the question, and he would just tell us straight out. No, 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 no lack of whatever this is where you should inject this is how much you should take this is what i'm using uh but in terms of being perhaps a professional body or a professional athlete of any description it's probably not necessarily the right thing to do in terms of sponsorship and and support and how you're going to come across in magazines or media interviews or whatever else we like it and it makes him great to talk about as we as we're doing in his podcast but uh Overall, perhaps, yeah. <laughs> it's like a politician telling the truth. <laughs> Man, that's going to last five minutes. <laughs> yeah. So after he died, um, what was interesting, a lot of people uh, did not pay their respects to him. He rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, which is, which is kind of fascinating that someone who is a bodybuilder of that stature can rub you the wrong way. It's I don't know. I just think that's kind of weird. Like, did he say something to you personally? Did he say something in a video? A lot of people claim that he was a bully in person. A lot of people claim that he wasn't friendly. So there wasn't a lot of people that were, you know, sad when he died because they kind of viewed him as an asshole. Yeah. And a whiner and a bitcher and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, yeah. Even with women, there's, there's, I, I touched in the, in the pre-show, we were talking about, there's two clips. One which I watched again yesterday where he's been interviewed by women. And it's, these are professional media outlets. So there's a local news, local radio show, whatever. And it's sitting down, this is being videoed. And you can find this online. And it's a woman off screen. who's was the producer or director, whatever is in charge. And, and the reporter sitting next to him. And he comes across really, really badly, lacking patience. But again, he's carpet and whatever else. 
He also talks about um, how when, when you're dieting or the training, how tired you are and all this kind of stuff. And he actually gives kudos to his first wife. I don't know if he was married again, but he says that my, my, my previous wife, my first wife, she did all the work. And this is about, uh, uh, he was asked if he's having a relationship. And he said something like, any, any woman that comes into my life now, all the work's been done. He says, I'm not there to fix them. I'm not there to hold them up. I'm not there to, I'm doing this. They, they need to understand this. And it comes across, honestly, I suspect there's a great deal of truth in what he's saying, but the how he says it and how he comes across. So, yeah, I, I think maybe it, all things considered as an athlete, you should say kudos, 100% with the prizes and the positions and the trophies and, and, and the winnings. But that never happened. And I think it was literally because he, he didn't do well with people. He, he didn't do well in relationships, perhaps. He was, perhaps his culture didn't make him come across really well with women, uh, specifically. And, and, and in terms of, you know, having that lack of a feel, as I said earlier on. So I think the thing with there is, is one of those he just didn't make any friends. You don't have to be friends as an athlete. You, you, Steve, Steve talks on, on, online and in podcasts about some really, really great American uh, athletes in, in golf and in, in pro ball. Uh, soccer and so on and so forth you don't need to be a nice guy i mean help boxing you don't need to be a nice person you really don't but in this day and age if you want the money if you want the acceptance perhaps it's just being circumspect just closing your mouth from time to time having a public relations and all that kind of stuff you can't Unless you've got that money already in the bank, if you've got a hundred million dollars already in the bank and you become a pro athlete, then you can say pretty much what the hell you like. But if you're sponsored by a big multinational company and they're giving you a hundred million dollar contract, you can't always say what's on your mind. And I think they maybe this is although that, that kind of money was never never is and never was in bodybuilding, I think it kind of damaged perhaps Nassi a small amount. His physique kept him at that level, but his math probably fucking probably got him into a little bit of trouble yeah. and so as, as steve speaker is quite correct and i didn't even think about this but when he passed away it was kind of like me so nasi is gone next you know that kind of attitude no one missed him yeah yep and in the money he alludes to that he lost you know he can blame himself for a lot of that because you start criticizing judges and criticizing bodybuilding and stuff you're basically biting the hand that feeds you and um so of course you know that can that can definitely backfire but his death um you know he started having problems in his in his mid-40s he had a staph infection in his shoulder rumored to be from synthol he denied it which um is interesting um i mean it's a good chance it was either synthol or steroids or something just when you pin this why why the one place that he's pinning why the one place that he maybe had Sinfo in and we seen photographs with suspicious looking like, come on, yeah. And oh, I, I yeah. Pretty good. he also had to get a heart transplant later in life. And um, he ended up dying in Egypt at 47 years old. He spent it with his family. He died um, while sleeping. The cause of death, kidney and heart failure. And his death is very similar to other guys who have dropped dead really young. Dallas McCarver was in his mid-20s. Rich Piana was in his around the same age as, as Nasser was, uh, mid forties, and um, you know they all have one thing in common: they abuse drugs, performance enhancing drugs, steroids, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, it's it's no doubt that his advanced 
steroid use, his um, obsession with becoming bigger and bigger and bigger, that's going to shorten your lifespan more than anything, guys. There's a, there's a reason why you don't see uh, 70, 80-year-olds who weigh 300 pounds. You know, it doesn't exist. You see the older people who are in their 90s and, and, cent- and centurions who are over 100, they're all, they're all skinny, you know? So if you want to live a long time, you, gotta, you, you can't be this, this big. But his obsession with being big ended up being his downfall. But we're going to get into a steroid talk in a bit, but I want to kind of touch on his training because there are videos of him on YouTube. You guys can look up and we'll, you know, we'll link it in the description. Those of you listening to us through uh through Evo and iTunes. And if you are listening to us on YouTube, you can go to our website, evolution.org and see these links because we can't post them on YouTube. But on um, his training style, he does he, it. Um, he likes to basically do high volume. He likes to train heavy. He liked to train relentless. He loved to train the failure and he loved weight training. He loved free weights. Yeah. He didn't, he didn't like machines. He liked free weights. Um, and you know, Momster touched on that a little bit, um, because I know that Joe, Joe Weider, when he first immigrated to the United States, when Nasser immigrated to the United States, he got in touch with Joe Weider and, and he started following the pyramid principle. And that's all about lower weight, more reps and increasing the weight every set with fewer reps. And this is something that I actually, um, learned as a teenager from reading weightlifting books back in the late. Uh, mid mid nineties. It wasn't the late nineties. It was the mid nineties before internet even was available to a poor kid like me. Um, and this is what I learned. So I think that these principles that Joe Weider Joe Weider taught and that Nasser followed were things that I've come to do, and I've used these same tactics in my weight training as well. But Momster, tell us a little bit about, about first of all the weight training and not machines. Um, what do you think about that? And then what do you think about the pyramid principle? Do you, is that something that you notice guys are following still? Or do you follow? Uh, it? The, the, this business of the freeways over machines. There's, I mean, sometimes I study the science stuff for this and I've had to argue uh, the, the whole pump thing on uh, Evo just this week in, in a forum post. So it's a bit of back and forth, right? So you go, okay, the idea of Joe Weider's thing, and I'll just that point first, is that when you built the foundation when you are 90 percent of the way there as a bodybuilder and you're competing and you're looking to achieve the level and, and status that becoming a mr olympia or, or top lift mr olympia contender is you've done most of the work it doesn't matter how you got there it doesn't matter whether it was machines or freeways you got there here you are so joe weed is quite right he says listen you do not need to do under 450 pound bent over rows you don't need to be doing 200 pound dumbbells this you don't need to be doing these 300, 400, 500 pound bench presses. You've done the work. And as per uh, the, the post I referred to just now, I, went, the, the, I, I put a post on another forum this week. When I had a back injury, the lightest I got was 270 pounds. I lost 10 pounds and I got those 10 pounds back in six weeks and then built them there to the weight I am now. So arguably, my foundation's not going to go away. So the volume thing, if you've done all the hardcore progressive work to get to where you are, including the, the performance and hearts and drugs cyclic nature of building up and dropping down, building up and dropping down. You're not going to get that much more muscle if you keep carry on taking more and more gear. And you're not going to get that much bigger if you've done 95% of, you know, if he comes in to say, see Joe, he's 290 pounds 
and Joe says, well, maybe you can hold another 10 pounds, you're not going to get that from smashing the weights again and again and again. You're going to keep your size and you're going to get that gnarly look from the, the, the volume approach. You won't get much bigger. You won't get much stronger. You can do those things, but it's, you're not going to get another 10, 15, 20 pounds of muscle. You're going to get another two pounds or one pound. In fact, Steve touches on some of this stuff in, in his thing where he talks about the year-on-year the year gains. And I, I'm pretty much average in my year-on-year gains. I've just done this for a long time. When NASA's turning up to see Joe, he's going to be 90% of the way there. And Joe's quite right. You know, if you're going to carry on competing, if you're going to be, especially if you're doing the European tours, can you imagine doing a European tours where you're competing three times in three days and then trying to get to the gym and do 500-pound bench presses? That kind of stuff's crazy. Maintain your muscle and work on that maturity. Work on that kind of gnarly, grainy look that certain guys that have had a few years under the bar have got. So there's that aspect. In terms of training with machines, and freeways okay so the argument goes your muscles don't care your muscles don't know your brain knows however lots of our, our science supports the idea that with a barbell or a even a, some of the better machines where there's a certain freedom of movement it's more uh more's done because your stabilizers are working, whereas on certain machines with a much fixed, fixed, more fixed path, your machine, your, your, the rest of your body, just that muscle, you say to your chest, your, your pecs are doing the work, as opposed to some tricep and some front shoulder, some rear delt and whatever else is involved in, in the movement. So the argument with free weights goes that you can build your foundation on free weights or a combination of the two, but you can maintain and you don't have to do the progressive stuff. You can do the volume stuff with machines. Phil Heath is a great example of that. A great athlete. Previously, as we know, was a high-level basketball player. And if you watch any of his online videos, uh, DVDs, whatever, 90% of his training seems to be on machine. And it doesn't seem to have done him any harm because of the 3D look that that guy has. Whereas NASA's come from a 90s generation. Lots of one-arm dumbbell rows. There's T-bar rows where he looks like he's got nine plates on the end of the bar. 180 pound, 190, 200 pound dumbbell rows, uh, bench pressing curls and so on. Uh, some of that stuff's done for videos. Some of that stuff's done for the magazines. There's photographs uh, with him, with uh, a British bodybuilder doing three plates aside on a seated press. And yet, as Steve said, when you went online, you could see uh, uh, magazine articles, sorry, and videos would have him using tricep press stands, using machines and so on and so forth. But again, this is when you're carb depleted, your competitive bodybuilder, your, these videos and photography things are done a few days out from competition, typically one to two weeks at the most. So you're really, really not feeling great. And it's a lot easier to pose on a machine with the stack kind of half obscured by your arm or your elbow. So you're using three plates, but it looks like you're doing a million plates. And uh, these are posed for whatever. You, uh, so there's, there's that aspect to it. I, I would agree with him. Your foundation should be built on a combination of training and progressive get big get strong and then maintain and carve in the detail with diet and with volume and you can use a lot more machines at that particular point you, you're not going you, there's no need to keep pounding away and, and Steve would appreciate this on the joints and on the elbows and on the shoulders so yeah the training figures actually we should probably address more of that on Evo it's a fascinating subject and there's a lot of back and forth the only the only thing that sometimes comes out of these science, science articles which annoys me is it's a single study and that's ridiculous. You, you, you need to do multiple studies. And they need to use people that have already trained in the studies. If we're guys that are on these forums and we've trained for a few years, we want to see guys that have already trained for a few years using this science to advance again. 
don't get someone that's never trained or 60 year old men or students or whatever. Use guys that have you know, five years under the bar and then show me the science. So yeah, I think the other thing as well, which I touched on a little bit with the diet stuff, if you're a competitive competing bodybuilder, you're carb depleted, that kind of training is fucking brutal. You're dying on your ass, you're hungry as hell, you're miserable, you're trying not to bite your wife's head off or your girlfriend's head off, you're trying not to shout at the kids and you want to go down the gym and squat 600. It's really, really, really... I, I, I've, <laughs> I've only done stuff like that a couple of times and you feel like a proper old man. You feel like a really, really old, broken down guy in those last few days doing that. Uh, and then trying to come across and compete and be a nice guy is really, really, really hard. So, yeah, build your foundation with free weights, carve in the detail uh, with volume and with machines later on. You, you can keep a lot of the muscle on there. Steve, Steve would appreciate this. And any guys that have been training for a while would be able to tell you this. I think the other thing as well that maybe you get from free weights is you learn how to get the best out of machines. You know how to contract your muscles. You know how to do that kind of stuff. I don't like to see the young guys going straight onto the machines. I want to see them under the bar first and then they can go to the machines afterwards when they've learned to train. And I mean that specific phrase. I think Steve would appreciate that. Knowing what to do, how to squeeze, how to contract, how to get that stuff seems to come more from the barbells and the dumbbells than it does with the machines. Back to you, Steve. Yeah, proper form is definitely, definitely important. And there's no doubt with Nasser, you, you know, we, you touched on the, the nutrition with the carbs, you know, he ate a lot of food. I mean, to get 300 pounds, just like you, Mobster, you're a big guy. He was a big guy. He's a beast. Uh, you guys are both beasts and you got to eat a lot of food to get that big. And, um, you know, I, I try to push on the forms less is better mentality. Well, with Nasser, more is better mentality. More training, more food, more steroids. It's a war of beating out the other people. And it, for him, 500 grams of protein plus a day, lots of eggs, lots of beef, lots of turkey, lots of chicken, carbs, sweet potatoes, yams, rice. These are all his favorites. No secret that he was eating a lot of foods. He was 300 plus during the off season. And to get that big, you know this as well as I do, Mobster, less is not better. You need to go more. So, again, the problem is if you follow this at home, you know, you're going to shorten your lifespan because uh, throwing that much food at your body is definitely going to shorten your lifespan. That's, uh, you know, your body can only process food uh, so many times as the course of your life. It's going to, yep. Yeah, I'm a bit worried now because I was 3.15 on the scales at the gym this morning. I say that. Steve, Steve's me and his, knows one of the things that I do is that I try to walk and I try to get and do a certain number of steps and paces and uh, when the girlfriend's hips not playing up, up and down the mountains that we've got nearby and you need to do that stuff. 100% in the strength community, uh, the strength side of things is what I'm most associated with. There are no big 70-year-olds. There are no big 80-year-olds. There are plenty of big 50-year-olds like me, but there are no big 70 or 80-year-olds. There is no 300-pound 70-year-old guys out there. And if there are, there's like one or two. There are not dozens. Whereas there are, there are 250-pound pro bodybuilders are a dime a dozen. 300-pound pro bodybuilders are not quite as, as common. 
that 300 pound pro bodybuilders that are 60 or 70 or 80 doesn't happen. Same in the strength community. There has to come a point where you either downsize and go for quality, or you must understand that this is a price that's being paid. And the problem for us in, in, in bodybuilding and to a lesser degree in the strength side as well, is that some of us are paying that price. It, I think the thing is we don't understand necessarily the sheer numbers of people that go to the gym, which is in the tens of millions in America, 30, 40 million people train in gyms and do some sort of fitness in America on a regular basis. It's probably uh, three or five, three to five million, I believe, over here in the UK. So, but the, the, the personalities, from our personalities, from our heroes, it does sometimes seem disproportionately high. When you're 47, I'm 56, Steve Smith's the wrong side of 40. So when we're seeing this pro bodybuilder that we're talking about now, Nasia, 47, that's no age at all. That's not, not nine years ago for me. That's nothing. I was in my peak when I was 47. I wasn't dying in my fucking bed at my mum's house when I was 47. So yeah, you've got to, if it's, it's the, the analogy that people have used, we're going to burn out. You train like crazy, eat like crazy and drug like crazy you're taking 10 years off, you're taking five years off. For some guys, that's okay. Burn bright, fade out. The rest of us, we kind of get that attitude to begin with and then we change later on. So we want to be great, we want to be champions, we want to be crazy strong, crazy big or whatever else. But maybe our attitude will change. And so we, we give you these warnings on the forum, we give you these warnings in the podcast. 47 years of age, top two, you shouldn't be dropping down dead, but should be out there making his missing four million dollars. He should be out there picking up, still doing, you know, guest poses, still doing seminars. Hell, the, the, the knowledge that this guy had, he should be out there spreading the word. He should be doing books. He should be doing online, you know, daily YouTube videos with tips and stuff like that and making shitloads of cash. Get, you know, quarter of a million subscribers, that kind of thing. He should be out there doing this kind of stuff. So yeah, they're, they're, we can talk about what he got into. And we could talk about the things that he'd done. But yeah, I think for sure there was some sort of price being paid there in terms of uh, knocking a few years off and risking stuff and being prepared to take that risk. Interesting thing from the family perspective is he actually talks about, Steve touched on this with his soccer, wasn't interested in training at all until he started training after a soccer injury. And only when he saw how good he was at weight training and adding muscle, did he become the professional bodybuilder competitive and then later on the professional bodybuilder that he was. And uh, it was interesting uh, reading comments that when he's been to visit his mother and his father and how they were responding to his training and so on and so forth. And I, I don't think he was sitting down and discussing his uh, performance enhancing drug use, let's put it that way. And I don't think he was being uh, 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 completely open. On the other hand, and I believe he used this particular phrase himself, he, he was an adult. He was able to make his own decisions. But of course, I think in terms of uh, overall risk, the decisions were probably not as uh, good as they could have been. So, you know, be aware when you're doing this stuff that there are things, there's could be a price to pay. And if you're happy paying that price, fine, fill your boots. Yeah, he, yeah, he definitely admitted, hey, it's 100% necessary to use steroids. So we already talked about his overtraining. We already talked about, we already talked about him overeating. Um, he wanted to get as big as possible. He wanted to get, uh, you know, uh, did that. Now let's talk about the third element, which is steroid use. My, uh, my mentality, less is better with steroid use, was not his mentality. His mentality was more is better. So Nasser is no secret. Before every meal, he's going to take insulin 
5, 10, 15 IUs of insulin before each meal. Why? He wants to partition that food. He wants to shuttle those nutrients from that food into his muscles. So for him, not using insulin before a meal is a waste of that meal. And at some point, it gets to the point where he's eating food without using insulin. And he's not, he's thinking to himself, oh my God, I'm not even taking advantage of this meal. I'm not even absorbing this meal. So you get into that that rabbit hole of doing that. Now, another element it is, is his HGH use. We're talking 20 IUs of HGH per day. He, 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 it's no secret that he was abusing HGH at least 10, 15, 20 IUs a day of HGH. Again, same thing. It's going to cause your blood sugar to go up. Then you use that insulin to drop your blood sugar. Then you use food to shuttle in the nutrients. That's how it was. That's why he was called a professor. And this worked at making him super, super big and super, super muscular. Another element of his training, no doubt, trend. Trend came around uh, during the mid to late 90s. Um, the early 90s is when Parabolin really became so freaking popular. So guys were getting their hands on Parabolin and Trend throughout the 90s, and Trend basically took bodybuilding to the next level. So he was probably taking 1,500 milligrams of Trend. He was taking tons of tests, at least a gram of tests. He was taking at least a gram of Equipoise. And then, of course, he was using the cutters and the hardeners like Winstrol, tons of Winstrol, tons of Masteron. Um, especially ahead of his shows to kind of tighten it down. And we know that he was using diuretics. Diuretics, extremely dangerous, extremely risky, but we know he was doing that because he got busted for it. So he was at least using diuretics um, to kind of manipulate the body. And I think with Nasser's knowledge um, of chemicals, he was really, really obsessed with, with, with this type, the science of of bulking up before competition, then cutting right before, and then using diuretics to dry himself out, using steroids to harden himself, using steroids to dry him out, using steroids to bulk up when needed. So he, he was really obsessed with this. And I think that um, he showed the way to really, really become a monster. And a lot of guys have kind of piggybacked off of what Nasser discovered throughout the nineties and have, taken that even to uh i think they've kind of took it down a notch or two because they didn't want to end up dead in their mid-40s but they're still kind of applying these principles to today's uh, bodybuilding now in, in 2021 2022 uh, as we get into the next year or two of, of mr olympia so uh yeah mobster how about you what do you think uh what do you think about that you're probably almost 100% spot on in terms of his cycle use. I suspect he was using, when I say site enhancers, I don't just mean Simfo. I'm thinking of, and I mentioned it on the forum this week, Escaline. I think he was injecting stuff pre-competition, uh, whether that be a volume of steroids to enhance the muscle, whether that's Escaline to give that sort of uh, inflammatory effect to make a muscle look swollen, because we've seen photographs where, where that seems to have happened. Simfo for sure, uh, I've, I've mentioned in, in the pre-show, uh, and, and earlier on where we say um, he skirted round, he was asked about uh, sinful use of both him himself and pros, and rather than specifically say, yes, I do, he says, let me put it this way, Bob, 95% of the pros, and Bob kind of sort of emphasises that that would include you, and that says, doesn't say no. So he's out there saying, not only is it me, 
indirectly is pretty much every other pro I know, but he was used to doing stuff. I think he was doing a bunch of things. He was putting a volume of steroids into a muscle. So I mean, he's a big muscular guy, training like a crazy man, eating this volume of food that Steve says earlier on, and then doing everything else and being vocal about it and, and saying that everybody else is doing this stuff. So whether, the, whether that's a site enhancement products like Sympho, whether that's escalating to sweat, get the anti-inflammatory to a calf or a delt, Sometimes he didn't need to do these things. And I'd actually go so far as to argue that his knowledge probably bit him on the ass. And in terms of sometimes when you think you know everything there is to know about these things, sometimes that no one can tell you otherwise. So you kind of build, this is what I'm going to do. And this is the reason why I should do it. And I'm going to go up and do it. And we see this sometimes where guys come on the forum. I'm going to take drugs, but I want you to tell me my cycle's okay. Well, if you think you know what you're talking about. I've got a buddy, he's very, very incredibly intelligent, and, and, but a very kind of narrow level in terms of he could probably tell you where the carbon ester uh, in the molecule for a steroid is. And yet he would be a guy that would bulk up on chocolate milk. So you can have this incredible knowledge about certain things I would actually say, and I will admit this, my knowledge on steroids, I had to refresh my brain every single time. It's either practical from my own personal experience or I'll go off and look. And my level of intelligence allows me to have an understanding of how that stuff works and then come back to the guys having looked something up. But my practical experience enables me to talk from, you know, 30, 40 years of training and this is what you should do and so on and so forth. I suspect Nasir was so intelligent, so wonderful, and it's kind of hard to argue against it. And yet here we are, 47 years of age, 320 pounds, not quite as healthy as we thought we was, not quite as safe. In fact, I'm, I'm pretty sure one of the videos I, was, I did watch in terms of research, he's showing someone around his garage and he's got this great big frame, there's two big shelving units full of weeder products. He was a weeder, weeder athlete under contract and has a ton of supplements on there, including liver protections and so on and so forth. And he says, oh, this is for this and this is for that. And it's all about the, the things that you show into the camera are supposed to protect you. But I think this is like in a normal person, the level that he was taking it to, you know, you can, you can only do so much. The, the, the things, if he's injecting something short acting for a show, if he's putting sinful in, but he's not checked the quality of it, if he's trusting someone else, you kind of over over emphasizing his uh, own knowledge to the point of risk, and perhaps and we can all do that. We can say that I'm perfectly safe and I go off and do something crazy and stupid and hurt ourselves. You know, uh, plenty of experience, but we can still fall ass over to really, really strong. I can still hurt myself in the gym. You know, I can still still I know for a fact what foods upset my stomach, and I still go out and do stupid shit. I eat those foods, and when it comes to drugs, you can't always get away with that kind of stuff. I don't care how pinpoint knowledge is or whatever. We can all get something that you know gives us an inflammation or gives us post injection pain because the labs changed the carrier or whatever else. Oh, this is what they use. This is how it's supposed to be used. No, they've changed the formulation. And, and it gives you an infection. You have to be careful every single time. You have to be on the ball every single time. I think Nasir perhaps sometimes, and given all things considered, I suspect this is the case, his intelligence kind of bit him on the ass that he was so sure about what he was doing that he was convinced that he knew what he was doing to the point perhaps where we're 320 pounds is a risk, injecting stuff three times a day, taking a gram and a half of this, taking 20 IUs of that, 
injecting into the muscles to get local inflammation. It's a risk every single time. And arguably, 47 years of age, that $4 million should have been Mr. O, arguably, wasn't worth the risk, wasn't, didn't quite pay off. And even down to the silly thing that we mentioned earlier on, not perhaps being missed by as many people when you pass away. That seems a bit of a shame. Being such a great athlete, a big, strong, muscular guy with that physique, that level of intelligence, and then no one gives a damn when you pass away. What the fuck's that all about? So, yeah. I, I, I'll give you an example. Again, this is just from my own personal experience. Every single time I do something new when it comes to performance-enhancing drugs, every single time I haven't used something for a long time, I will go back and look at the latest information. I will read up and refresh myself to make sure that not just the conversations we have on the forum, but my personal use of a drug, this is how much I should use, this is the best way to use it. And I do it every single time just for myself. So this is the sort of stuff that I'm putting out there for, for our, our listeners to do exactly the same thing. And I'll give you an exa another example again, and I did this with my very, very first cycle ever. I had the ability at that time in the, in the UK to be able to talk personally to two of the biggest and most well-known gurus that we had in that country at that time. Uh, I, I went so far as to buy their books. And of course, there was some, a very small amount of information on, on drugs in the magazines, in the UK magazines and, and some of the American magazines. I'm fortunate that I made sure that the one thing that every single person agreed on was probably going to be the truth about steroids and the stuff that they disagreed on was probably their own personal opinion. Now, we're, we're lucky now, and Evolutionary does this all the time with our articles, that we can refer to the original research, that we can have thousands, hundreds of thousands of members that have used the drug, hundreds of tens of thousands and hundreds and hundreds of, that have used another drug and got this response and this result. We didn't have that when I was using stuff. And, we, and back in the 90s, Forums were just taking off. Information available was literally word of mouth and a handful of books, Dan Duquesne and stuff like that. So, you know, I think intelligence in this particular case bit him on the ass a little, little bit. Thinking he knew everything, then died at 47 years of age. Fantastic looking, perhaps, uh, corpse in the coffin, uh, but without the trophies and the kudos and, and, and as many friends in the industry as perhaps it should have had and probably deserved if if he'd have come across in a different way. How do you see? Yeah, so I just want to make a couple points before we close out. We have about five or five minutes left, um, and I'll let you close up, Mobster, on, on your final thoughts. So there's a couple couple things I want to address. Number one, though, the synthol use. If you watch his videos, um, and we'll like I said, we'll earlier we'll we'll link a couple. You can tell that he he's on sign enhancement oil. I mean, there's just no doubt. Anyone who who uh, doubts that doesn't know what they're talking about because that's not normal to have those types of muscles number one. Number, yeah, and then, yeah. The, the second point i want to make um we had we had a couple people get upset when we, we did the rick Drazen video uh after his death because we talked about his death and we speculated on his death and stuff and and a lot of people you know a couple people got upset over it but guys it's very important that we talk about this stuff. We talk about these guys dying. When a bodybuilder who admits to using steroids dies and admits to in, has been busted for certain things, we have to talk about that because we're not going to learn if we just ignore it. 
So I want to know if some guy, someone dies at 47 years, I want to know what he took and I want to know what happened to cause his death because I want to learn from that. And I went through a period of my life, um, you know, uh, five, 10 years ago where I was overeating, overtraining, overusing steroids too. I went through that. So how am I supposed to learn that that's not, that's going to shorten my life if I don't learn from other people's who, who have passed away. So I think that the past couple of years, our attitudes have changed. Uh, seeing these deaths of Dallas McCarver, Rich Piana, Nasser, who passed away as well. And, and these other guys have passed away who we look at as our, you know, uh, we respect, we look at uh, as role models, as heroes in, in fitness and bodybuilding, and they pass away. And it kind of, it's very important to talk about this. So I disagree wholeheartedly with anyone who says that we're wrong to talk about this stuff. Because we have to learn. We have to learn from it. And it's very, very important to, to know this stuff. I'll give you an example. I had a landlord pass away a few years ago. And he was like 52 years old. He looked healthy. I didn't see anything. He passed away of a heart attack. I want to know what the heck happened. Yeah. You know, how could someone just drop dead that fast? Because I'm worried that I may drop dead at 52 out of nowhere like that. So I want to know, was he, did he have some type of existing heart issue? You know, was he taking something? Did he overdose on drugs? I want to know what the hell happened. So it's very important that we share this information and build on it to, so we don't end up dying ourselves and to prevent this. And it's very important to talk about it also, mobster. So that the younger guys realize that, yeah, you can go and overtrain, overuse steroids, overeat. You can go do it, but you're going to shorten your lifespan. And, yeah. you know, we have to be able to portray that so people at least know what they're getting themselves into. Because um, a lot of people out there, you're not going to grow up to see your kids grow, uh, graduate college. You're not going to have any relationship with your grandchildren. So, you know, that's you know, if you choose to do that, Hey, that's your business. But I think it's very important to do that, uh, to, to talk about this stuff. So that's just all I want to say. I'll let you close up mops. Any final thoughts? Oh, I'm with Steve, but there's a few things here, people. Number one, heroes and, 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 and ourselves, human beings, we all have feet of clay. And what that means is we make mistakes. We fuck up as an older person talking to younger listeners. I can say that I've made mistakes. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean in training or whatever else. It means in life in general. And so when we do these moralistic rants and we tell you this advice, it comes from a good place. If you don't make mistakes, you're going to be a better athlete. If you don't make mistakes, you're going to be a better father, a better son, a better brother, a better worker. But we, sometimes we need to make mistakes, and that includes our heroes. Now, it's kind of a, a kind of fun thing to do if you're in the media to build someone up and knock them down, build them up and knock them down. We, we did a podcast on Sylvester Stallone, the, the kind of background and how he stuck to his guns and managed to get to where he's got today. Still got arrested for, you know, trying to smuggle growth hormone into Australia. Stupid shit. But it was just, if he does it then you don't do it. You don't do it because you know that the Australian customs are really, really bad and we'll kick your ass and we'll search your luggage. And if you look like a bodybuilder, you're not going to have another 20 minutes or half an hour. We give you this advice. It need, it need, you're just going to make less mistakes. And I've been touching something earlier on, and I've mentioned it in previous podcasts as well. I know that I've mentioned this online. It's quite simple. When you are younger and you're just doing this journey, we, me and Steve are on now, 
10, 15, 20 years down the road from you guys. Your attitude is different from what it will be later on when you get married, when you have kids, when you have grandkids, when you mature, your attitude will change. So when you're younger, I will take every fucking drug there is, man. It can't hurt me. And it doesn't. You bounce, you fall on your ass, you bounce back up. I fall on my ass, I'm moaning for a fucking days. If I do stupid shit like that, it hurts for ages. Before this stupid stuff that we're all dealing with, COVID fell over and landed on my knee, running over a traffic island. <laughs> like a bitch for a week when I was a kid and when it hurts. So when you're in the 20s and you do crazy stuff in the gym and you go, I can't go to the gym and then go out all night drinking and take drugs and then go to the gym tomorrow. When you're 19 and 20, you can do that stuff. You could, we talk about 500 milligram cycles and that stuff works for 90% of you. And you find, okay, it's not working as much as it used to, but it's still working. You don't have to double up or triple up or quadruple up or go five grams or become free, Mr. 3CC or any of that stuff or die when you're 47. You don't need to do those things. And we're telling you why you don't need to do those things because some other crazy bastards already done it. And this is what they learn. And that's how you got to be where you are. We want you to be great and successful bodybuilders. We want some of you to compete and win. We want some of you lifters to go out there and be the strongest motherfuckers you know. We want you to be 300 pounds of muscle. But where possible, we want you to be healthy. We want you to live to a long and ripe old age. We want you to come back on the forum and tell that the advice that Steve's me and Mobster gave you on the fucking podcast was good advice. So you can tell the guys that are coming up behind you. And that's something else. I'll touch on one last thing. It's a pure personal experience. And this is sometimes how it works in the media as well as in real life. So I'm doing a show. I'm at an uh, exhibition. Being paid to work on a standing exhibition because of my grip stuff. And a guy that I vaguely knew came up to me with a young kid. I think it was a cousin or a nephew or something like that. He'd taken him down to the expo for the day. I had no idea. And he says, oh, this is Steve and he does this. And uh, would, would you like to tell the young man something about steroids? So I said, you know, shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that, da 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 uh, But I was also honest. I said, you know, so I think he said something in front of the kid to the effect of, have you ever taken steroids, thinking I was going to say no? And I said, yes. He was quite disappointed. So he goes home and he gets on a forum and he starts typing like a furious madman. And it was just like half-page post on a forum, how disappointed he was and all the rest of it, in spite of the fact that I probably gave this young man a 10 minute speech about, you know, staying in school and training hard, and all the rest of the kind of stuff that we're doing right now. But this, this, the rest of this thing was tearing me a new one. And I said, look, no, number one, I'd never hidden it. I, I think I'd mentioned it 10 years before on some forum, this is what I'd done. I've always been very, very moderate. Steve, Steve when he touched on this earlier on, we're both very moderate in our use. I'm hoping to be, a long, I want to do another 10, 15 years of lifting, at least. I want to be the old man in the gym store grinding at 300 pounds. Now, that might be less body weight, but I still want to be able to bench that kind of stuff when I'm 60. I want to be the guy who's reading about in the magazine who's 65 years of age and still bench 300. I want to be that guy. So, moderate use. My genetics allow me to be the size that I am. But equally, I've had that side of things where the guy was quite disappointed. It turns out he was a reformed alcoholic. He'd actually done a cycle of stories himself. And so I called, pulled him back on his double standards, stood him up and said, listen, you're kind of like the born again smoker. Oh, you know, smoking's evil, but you used to smoke. Drinking was evil, but you used to drink. 
steroids are usual, but you've done a fucking cycle. Shut the fuck up and leave me the fuck alone. I'm being honest, I'm telling you the truth. And in my case, I'm not out there going, every fucker should take steroids, or they should all be on Sinfold, or should you be GHB, or, or DMP, or any of that kind of stuff. In fact, I'm, I'm online, I'm probably one of the most moderate people you can meet in terms of the performance enhancing drug use, both for my personal use, and in terms of my advice to people. With, with Nassia, with the, with the person, the subject of this very podcast, I think Nassia took it to an extreme. And to be at 320 pounds off season, Using 15 to 20 IUs a day when I would probably recommend two and a half IUs a day, five IUs every other day. Using 10 IUs of insulin before every fucking meal. When you're on multiple grams of different steroids all the time for a long time, you can't do that stuff. And 47 years of age, there's no age at all. I want to be a 100-year-old lifter, not a 47-year-old freak, not a 21-year-old freak or 25-year-old freak. I want to be a 100-year-old freak. I might weigh 180 pounds or 200 pounds when I'm 100 years old. But I want to be the 60, 70-year-old guy still lifting in the fucking gym, still doing this shit because I love it. And when we're giving you this advice, it's because we want you to be the same. We want you guys out there to be lean, nasty, muscular motherfuckers who are 80 years of age and on the forums turn the, the spending the gospel guys. So listen to what we're saying to you. Pay attention. Sometimes, a lot of you are going to ignore us, but a few of you won't. And we want those grateful motherfuckers to come on the forum and say that we told them the right thing, that their attitude did change when they got married and they got to be with the one that they loved and they wanted to have kids. We see this all the damn time on the forums. Don't care if I'm ever going to have kids again. Two years down the road, the mind changes. Oh, my, my, my testicles are tiny. <laughs> Guys, pay attention, use this gear. Big, big motherfuckers, stay in the game for a long time. Train for 20 years, not for two years. Listen to what we're telling you. It's, it comes from a good place. Back to you, Steve. All right, guys. So hopefully um, you guys enjoyed this podcast. We're going to have another one coming up next. We're going to do uh, Brandon Curry, right, Mobster, number, which will be number 110. So this is 109 Nasser. Um, hope you guys enjoyed it. For Steve Smee and Mobster, we'll talk to you guys next week. Have a good evening. See you guys.